Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. For the first episode of 2021, you're going to hear from Matteo Remsberg, Director of Recruitment at the University of Utah. We're talking about virtual events, what he's learned from the successful events and their transition, and some of the different voices and formats they're using. Thanks for joining me here, Matteo. Well, I just wanted to start out here with two questions I ask everybody. First up, what's something that you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? <laughs> well, as pretty much everyone that you've asked this question to has said that there's lots. Um, <laughs> as I was thinking about this question, you know, I think most relevant, uh, even to the discussion that we're going to have today around virtual events, is, is simply that, our implementation of virtual events. The, the mistake I look at in terms of our implementation was the fact that I kind of had a vision and I, I had a, a pretty un, good understanding of how we might implement that vision, but I did not do a very good job of bringing everyone along with me and really taking the time to explain what it was we were doing, how we were going to do it, um, the technology we were going to utilize. I, I had been so ingrained and involved in it for a, a period of time that it just made sense to me. And I didn't realize that it didn't make sense to everyone else that I was asking to, you know, help implement what we were doing virtually. And, you know, it wasn't until a while later where it came up in one of our staff meetings and folks were asking questions that, you know, quite honestly, I should have answered a long time ago. And I, so for me, as, as I keep replaying how spring went and how we've rolled things out, and even again this fall, is really making sure in, in everything that we do or everything that I do, that I step back and think through, does everyone really understand this? Do they understand the why behind what we're trying to accomplish? Do they understand how we're going to do this? You know, if, if I can't answer yes to that, or I have a few people that I reach out to and will just kind of check myself, say, do you understand this? And if they say no or not fully, or they kind of hem around, you know, they hem and haw about, you know, really answering the question because they don't necessarily want to hurt my feelings. Um, I know, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing, take a step back and and try to regroup and bring everyone up to speed so that there aren't questions, there aren't concerns, and we're all moving in the right direction. I'm extremely impressed. And Al, this is something that I've, I've known a lot of people who will say, well, things just didn't work because they didn't understand. You know, they didn't follow through on my vision. But you took a completely different tack. The emphasis needs to be on how you communicate and, and how you ensure understanding. Oh, absolutely. My approach typically is that, you know, if something doesn't go as planned or, or an expectation isn't met, my very first question is, was there clarity around that expectation? More often than not, probably, that there wasn't that clarity. And, you know, that's on me to make sure that the team is clear on what we're trying to accomplish and that they they have the training and the knowledge that they need to have to be successful in that. That that clear communication is so vital to success and really 
pretty much everything that we try to do or that we want to accomplish. So what are you going to do now to kind of get those checkpoints and make sure people are all on the same page? It is a lot of, you know, jotting down notes of, okay, this is what didn't go right, or, or this is what I'm hearing from the staff. And, you know, as we move forward on new implementations, it's saying, okay, am I checking all of these boxes? When we implemented our virtual events platform, there wasn't a whole lot of clarity around, you're using these terms, but we don't even understand what those terms are. And so, okay, making sure that if I'm using jargon, that I am clear on what that jargon actually means or refers to. And so I, I actually have started a little checklist of, okay, if we're implementing something new, am I doing this? Am I doing this? And, you know, as we get ready to move into spring, you know, one of our conversations we're going to have in the first couple weeks of January is really about, okay, here's the plan for this spring and here's how we're going to accomplish this. And, and let's make sure folks, you know, if you have questions building in time, for folks to to ask those questions, but I think it's also creating a space where people feel comfortable questioning. This is something that you've had to do a lot of this year, I'm sure. What practices are you using to, to brainstorm, bring new ideas into the work, you know, rethink what you've been doing? Initially, when we had to switch to to virtual everything, right? Our our initial thought is saying, okay, what is it that we do in person and how do we move that to virtual? We were very much in a reaction type mode. It wasn't until a little bit later that we really backed up and asked the question, kind of, what is that end goal in mind? So rather than focusing on how are we going to do this, let's really talk about what is it that we're trying to accomplish and what's that end goal? And then let's rethink how we're going to accomplish that. Immediately, we started using Zoom and there was this huge learning curve. We quickly realized, I think, that we couldn't just do a live in-person like we normally do, but just put it in a virtual space. It, you know, when you are talking to people live, like doing your daily information sessions, and you're doing that live, you know, you have the ability to see your audience and get those nonverbal cues and, and kind of be able to engage them and things like that. When you move to a virtual space, and you're in Zoom, you don't always get that because not everyone has their cameras on to begin with. It's a very different way to present information. It's really thinking like, okay, how do we tweak um, what we're doing? And so that brainstorming piece of, of once we said, okay, how do we move into this virtual space, right? And we, we talked about the different options in Zoom and you know those other partners that are out there that, that have created virtual spaces. The next piece was then, all right, how do we move into providing content that makes sense in the virtual space? And that was, you know, the brainstorming piece started talking about, okay, what do we have to do? And especially in spring, we were kind of at that next step stage of, you know, here you've been admitted, you know, now we're trying to yield and we want to make sure students have the information they need to make that informed decision. They know what those next steps are. And so starting to engage with our students and our frontline staff, um, you know, what are those questions that you're hearing when you're talking with students? Uh, what are the questions that are coming in on email or what are the questions that are coming in on the phones? And how can we address those questions 
you know, it's thinking, you know, working with our colleagues across campus about ideas, things that they were typically doing in the past, but now couldn't, um, you know, rethinking a admitted student day that takes everyone thinking through it. Like no one idea is the best idea. And, and I definitely know that I don't have all the great ideas. So trying to pull in as many people as we could, but then also going out to our, our personal networks off campus. What are other colleagues doing? What are some of the things that they're struggling with or having success with? Just because it gives us a starting point, we don't have to you know, recreate the wheel oftentimes. It sounds like what you're doing is essentially starting with those pain points, those FAQs, and building different experiences to support those. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. For me, and I think our team, it's more about you know, meeting the needs of our students and families. And sometimes that's hard for us to remember to keep in mind because, you know, we also have things that we want to make sure that we get out. The thing that I love about my team is that, you know, they're constantly coming back and they're saying, this is what I'm hearing. And, you know, this is an idea that I have. And if I get out of the way and let them kind of provide their insights, like we end up doing better overall. That's fantastic. That's, that's what it takes. You need all the voices feeling like they can speak up. Exactly. So how did you make that initial move? So it sounds like you had this planning process. You know, did you start out with sort of sketching everything out? You know, what what sort of planning process did you have? I would like to say that we had this really well thought out plan. Um, <laughs> but I I really feel like for, a, you know, all of spring and a good chunk of fall, we were like building the tracks literally as we were driving down them. The immediate thing that we had to do in the spring when we went virtual was figuring out how do we do this? You know, everyone immediately jumped on Zoom and, you know, it was a process of, you know, we all created kind of our own individual Zoom accounts. And then the university came behind and said, oh, we now have a university account that you can get on and, and provided us more access, you know, to longer meetings and more people that we could invite and those types of things, which was great. You know, but we quickly kind of realized that Zoom was probably not going to meet all of our needs. You know, so what else was out there? You know, fortunately, you know, one of the things I like to do is kind of keep uh, tabs on what's out in the partner market space, if you will, watching some companies in terms of how they have moved into the virtual space over the years um, was helpful. So I could reach out to a few folks that I've engaged in conversations and, and really have an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper. And it was also beneficial that the university was willing to engage in partnerships where that hasn't been the case in the past. You know, we knew we wanted to do these kinds of yield events. We wanted to create a place to engage students. This is an example where I went and said, okay, here's what we do in our in-person, and this is what we want to do in a virtual type mm -hmm. of event, and was quickly told um, that's not going to work. Like, we were going to have <laughs> something like, I don't know, I want to say like 20 hours of content over like oh a week. Like it was, it, it's one of those things where this is an area that we really hadn't engaged in. It was a huge learning curve, I think, for everyone involved. Nobody's going to sit through 20 hours of content. You know, it's just, so then it, it's really kind of retooling your approach and being comfortable with retooling. You can't just do it the way that you've always done it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, engaging our campus partners terms of what might make sense for them. I think one of our most successful things we did in the spring and over the summer is we pulled together for what we called our next step kind of live presentations. 
and we had uh, somebody from financial aid and scholarships and housing and orientation and academic advising and admissions. And it was kind of a, a live presentation where, you know, we would each take three to five minutes, provide updates from our areas, because that's what we were getting a lot of is what's happening with COVID and what's summer going to look like, what's fall going to look like. And then, you know, reinforcing some of those next steps that students need to do and answering questions. Every time that we did those, we like literally would have over 100 questions that would come into the Q&A and we couldn't wow. get through them all. So, you know, then it's like, OK, can we respond to these questions and then post them on our website where folks can still get the answers, even though we're not able to do it kind of live real time. You know, those were some of our most successful because again, it was getting at what are the needs of our students and our families? What are they most concerned with? How can we address them? Oftentimes, when, especially when it dealt with the COVID things, it was like, you know, unfortunately we don't know yet, hmm. but here's what we do know. And, and being as transparent as possible through that process. This is such a smart approach. You're providing the information that they need that can be accessed on their schedule in a format that they choose. You know, it's not a live only, it's not a block of text, uh, but they at least have access to it perpetually. I actually did something a while back that I would encourage everyone to try. Uh, we actually took the frequently asked questions and the things we kept getting about an event, and then we put them together as a similar sets of questions uh, that were done a Q&A format with the president of the institution. Were those structured as episodic content that people could, could digest, say, well, I'm looking for this information. Here's a small answer to that. You know, that's one of the things that we we didn't do initially, but we're looking at more so, as, especially as we move into spring. This last year, this last nine months or so has been very much a, a learning process for us. You know, one of the things that we did just last week, uh, a few members of my team and I, we sat down and said, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well, and then even looking at the technology and saying, okay, what could we leverage better or what haven't we leveraged that maybe we can do a little more of this spring? You know, you're not going to get everything right out of the gate. And so it's being, you know, thoughtful about um, how you're evaluating and looking at everything and, and being willing to tweak along the way, but then also taking some breaks where you can really say, all right, how do we enhance what we're doing to better meet the needs of our students and families? With the Next Step Live events, is that something that you added or did you do smaller versions of that in the past and just ramped it up this year? That was actually a brand new okay. type of thing. With our in-person events, you know, we really relied on being out in the schools and, you know, talking about that with students, or we would have these in-person events that we would, we would do in, in different markets that would address kind of those things. We tweaked it a, a little bit more so that it, it fit the virtual space. It fit the time in terms of you know, what were we were dealing with in terms of, of changing decisions on campus about what classes and, and living on campus was going to be like. And in my mind, they were brand new events, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as we're looking at spring, it, that's one of those things that we're looking at saying, OK, how do we bring these back, but still find ways to meet the needs of our students? Well, with all these new things you're doing, what data are you collecting to measure the effectiveness of them? 
you know, that's an area that I, I would say we we have the most room to grow in. You know, we're looking at, you know, kind of anecdotal data of, you know, what are our campus partners saying when they're engaging with students? We're looking at some basic data in terms of when do we see engagement in terms of time of day and day of the week? We are just about to the point where we are uh, able to bring in all the different data points um, from our virtual platform into our CRM so we can do more robust data analysis and reporting. Um, so it's, you know, not just, you know, who's engaging at a, a given time, but what are they doing over time? And that's, I think that's one of the biggest gains I've seen with moving to virtual is that if we do a live event, we're set up a, in a school or a hotel or whatever, and, and we've got this great program going on. The only people that are able to engage with that information and engage with us are the folks that actually show up. And, you know, that can be hit or miss depending on day of the week, time of the day, you know, those types of things. Everyone's busy. But with virtual, we have a way to not only do sessions where people can join us and ask questions, but they also have the ability to access that content on demand. And one of the surprising things that we're finding, at least surprising to us initially, is that our students are engaging with our content as much, if not more, on their own time. And literally when I ran the, the data and looking at, you know, what hours of the day folks are engaging with our content, we've literally had students engaging with it like 24 hours a day. Yeah. Um, you know, not as much between 12 and 4 a.m., but <laughs> um, I was still surprised to see that there were definitely students that were doing it at that time. Mm -hmm. Right. And and they can watch what they want when they want it, you know, being able to click on different links and, you know, and providing it in a space where, you know, they don't have to plan on joining us at a certain time, but they're still able to get the information they're looking for. Yeah, that's the hard thing when when some of your high engagement peaks are at 10 to midnight or something. You know, if you're going to try and do something live, no one wants to work those hours. <laughs> right. Well, you know, we've it, it's been interesting because we we have done some later night things because of that. It, it is interesting to see the engagement. We've done some uh, a few weekend, you know, at times that we've never done before. You know, so we did right before our December one application deadline. We um, did a, a Sunday evening chat um, mm -hmm. for three hours, and we. We had, you know, steady engagement where students were logging in and asking questions and, you know, it wasn't a ton, but for those students that did it, like it was beneficial to them. And at yeah. the end of the day that, you know, that's what we're trying to do is, is provide service to those students. Yeah, that was something that was a little bit surprising. Uh, so Niche and, and Tutor Collegiate Strategies did a survey of, of students and their peak time when they want to engage with virtual events and information sessions was weekends in the afternoon. And, yep. you know, there's a lot of people doing evenings. We used to do a lot of morning live events on campuses, but that's not when students say they want it. Right. I think that's the piece with, with everything that we do, whether it's in person or virtual, right, is being willing to test new things and try it and see if it works and, and realizing that, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about when's convenient for us. Yes. It's, you know, if we want to be in front of students, we have to figure out when they're available. I think getting back to that planning piece that you asked about earlier, it's also looking at, you know, not only what 
what are our colleagues doing, but what's, you know, what are we hearing from sources like, you know, niche or, um, you know, RNL or EAB or some, you know, there are so many different organizations out there that have been doing some, some great research to help us understand what does that landscape look like? What, how are students are engaging? When are they engaging? What are they looking for? Um, so again, some of it is not, you know, what can we do to not have to recreate the wheel? And how can we pull on, you know, expertise from, from others to help us, you know, think through what is it that we want to do? You have all this great content that you're building out and these strategies, you're learning what's working for virtual and what's not. You know, if I can ask you to put on your prophecy hat, uh, if you're looking six to eight months out now, what does that mix look like? Are you 25% virtual online? Are you 50%? What's, what's your mix going to look like, do you think? That is a, a great question and probably the million dollar question. Um, you know, <laughs> it's interesting for us in that um, we had a brand new executive director join our team. So my boss joined our team during the pandemic, end of July, right? Moved to Utah without ever really being on campus or any of that. You know, so we're in the, the throes of virtual and we know we're going to be virtual through spring. But last week I was like, we need to have a conversation about kind of what is your vision for once we get back to doing in-person events, because that that will help frame how we're going to continue to leverage virtual. We're not, you know, like the one exciting thing, I, you know, about all of this is this has created a new tool to have in our toolbox. You know, we're not going to go back to strictly in-person, but I think it's finding that balance because one of the things that that I think was a pleasant um, surprise and outcome for us is we've had campus partners that, you know, are always looking for ways to get in front of students. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're doing a, you know, a live in-person admitted student day event, for example, you just can't have everyone participate. You know, we've tried multiple panels where we're bringing people together and it's just, it's not overly effective. Um, But with virtual, one of the things that we did is we created a campus and community spotlight and we created a space where our campus partners could do sessions. You know, if they wanted to do a a pre-recorded and and a chat along with it, or they want to do a live, they could do that to get their information out, but then it was still available on demand. So now we have a way for our, our campus partners to still be able to have their information in a space where students can access it. You know, so I, I see that as one of those areas where, again, we're going to be able to leverage that here on forward um, because it, it makes sense to do where, you know, even once we're in live events, we're not going to be able to, to bring everyone with us on the road, but we can definitely make it available virtually. So I think the question really is, um, for us right now, is what does live look like in the future based off of new leadership? And then thinking through how do we, you know, complement the live events with our virtual and vice versa. So with these campus and community partners, uh, who did you bring together to help plan the events, deliver the events? And were there any uh, either offices or functions that you hadn't added in the past that were really helpful? We, we have a, a group that comes together once a month called the Campus uh, Recruitment Committee, 
who are involved or interested in bringing new students to campus. So the kind of that front end of, or the one side of the enrollment point. And, you know, when we started talking about these, these events, a lot of them were like, we very much want to do something, but we really don't know what we should do or how we should go about it. And that, I think that's one of the, the areas that I probably didn't think a whole lot about in the beginning was we were also not only going to have to provide a way for our campus partners to engage with students, but we were also going to have to kind of guide them and share with them best practices. And, and this is, you know, really kind of what are we looking for? You know, so one of the things we did in the spring with our admitted student event is rather than having, you know, four people on a panel provide four very different PowerPoint presentations that they could walk along with, but providing a slide deck that we asked everyone, here are the five pieces of information we want you to cover in your presentation. So there was a sense of consistency, a sense of flow, but you know that was one of those things that our, our partners were asking for and we hadn't fully thought through. And so, you know, figuring out, okay, how do we meet the need of our campus partners so that they can be successful? You know, as we look to our spring events uh, this next year, you know, I'm excited that we're going to be bringing in our equity, diversity, and inclusion area on campus. So the the vice president uh, for EDI and really began talking about what could events around um, equity, diversity, and inclusion really look like so that we can provide information for students who are traditionally underrepresented or marginalized on our campus, help them create awareness about the resources that are available for them, help them find their community and make connections with others, you know, through spring semester. And so, you know, we had an initial conversation. There's likely going to be a few more as we flesh this out. Um, Another new partner we're bringing on is our alumni association and looking to engage you know, alumni and being able to do live conversations with students and kind of talk about, you know, what did the University of Utah do to help prepare our alumni to go out and do the amazing things that they're doing now? And with our colleges, now that they've done, you know, a couple semesters of content, we're now giving them a little more leeway in terms of of how they're doing their sessions and the information that they want to provide. And, and so it's been a, a growing aspect for, you know, really all of us along the way. I see this theme of clear communications, that there's people who want to help. They want to be involved. They need to be told how to help, though, right? Yep. They, they need to know what our options are. Oh, exactly. You know, and, and some of it is like, again, we want them to be successful. So how can we learn from yeah. the mistakes we've already made? You know, a, a lot of the research now shows that, Students will engage a little bit longer if it's a live event, not as long if it's a pre-recorded. But we were doing, you know, 45-minute, hour-long presentations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this semester, we're really telling folks, like, you need to cap it at 30 minutes. And, you know, that's like the absolute most. One of the things I'm, I'm super proud of that our team did this year or this fall was trying to really put forth the student voice and the student experience in everything that we do. You know, we started a, a student spotlight where we asked four of our ambassadors to serve as moderators to weekly conversations. And we would 
kind of choose a topic and, and our students help kind of identify some of the topics. And then we would pull in other students from around campus to talk about it. So, you know, it might be ways to get involved and, you know, somebody from Greek life, somebody from our union programming board or, you know, other areas that weren't ambassadors and could talk about the ways that they were getting involved and share different aspects. Um, not only did this create, you know, a great opportunity for our ambassadors to learn how to engage and moderate a conversation in a, in a different way than they normally do, but to really put front and center that that student voice, that student experience, like there wasn't a professional staff member involved in any of those conversations. Well, that is our our most engaged type of presentation that we have each week. Oh, that's that's fantastic advice. I'm curious how many people are doing that. There's a level of trust needed to hand the reins to all students and and non-staff, right? Oh, for sure. And you know, this is an, this is one of those areas where again, if we think back to okay, would I do things differently? I could have done a little bit better job of preparing them to moderate. I, I know it was really kind of nerve-wracking for them in the beginning, but it has been just awesome to watch how those conversations have developed over time. Um, you know, and as we're getting ready to, you know, kick off spring semester. And, you know, this is one of those areas that we're definitely keeping, you know, there, there is a sense of excitement about doing it. But again, we're, we're also looking at like, okay, do we tweak the day, the time? Do we have a live chat go along with it? Or do we, you know, just, you know, maybe take the, the Disney Plus model and drop content every week, you know, that's available yep. whenever, and then just have a few kind of ask me anything types of sessions. Well, that's the cool thing is if you're doing short sessions, you can try all these different things and and see what works and what doesn't. Yep, exactly. Well, Mateo, I I really want to thank you for the time here. I really appreciate it. I uh, know I'm, I'm stealing some of your vacation time here, but yeah, I'm just very appreciative of this. It's a great conversation. I so appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Will. This has been a lot of fun for me, and I always get a lot from the, the conversations that I, I hear when you do these. So thank you so much for doing this, and, and again, the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. Uh, if people want to follow up the conversation and talk to you a little bit more or connect, what are some ways they can do that? I'm on all the socials at M Remsburg. Um, and then uh, you can always reach out to me at the University of Utah. I'm at Mateo.Remsburg at Utah.edu. And uh, always, always willing to chat with uh, colleagues and make some new friends along the way. Well, thank you again for your time. And I hope that 2021 is, uh, is much more kind than 2020 has been. <laughs> I, I hope it's that way for all of us. 